You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, again, good morning. We welcome you to Kootenai Community Church, Adult Sunday School. And this morning we're in chapter 2, the final portion of chapter 2 in 1 Samuel. So while you're turning there, I would just like to thank you for your participation. And I pray this morning before we start. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the conviction and the instruction that we receive from your word. And this morning, as we examine this text, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate each of us with understanding, not only to understand what you have said through your servant Samuel, but also that we might partake of the precepts that you have given us. So we just ask this to your glory, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the portion that we will be examining this morning starts in verse 22, and we will be working toward the end of the chapter in verse 36. Before we start, I'd like to read the text. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear. The Lord's people are circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and favor, both with the Lord and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me. And did I not give the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice, at my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering 
of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will lightly be esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes will fail from weeping, and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the day both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a fearful priest who will do according to what is my heart and my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before me anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. Well, this is a stark judgment of God against Eli and all his family to come. Deservingly so. In this text, we see three major points. The first, the moral sins of Eli's sons in verses 2, 22 through 25. Second, Hannah's son, Samuel, who's physically and spiritually growing in favor with God and all of Israel. And the third is the judgment against Eli's sons and all his household. Eli's treatment of the sins of his sons is just approached timidly. Listen to how he addresses this. Verse 22, now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent meeting. Now there was a multitude of grievous sins that these two godless men did. Even in their position, appointed as priests over Israel to offer sacrifices to the Lord. They were gluttons, they were full of lust, and carried out all this evil at the tabernacle in Shiloh. Think of this. Two men, the sons of the high priest, Eli, appointed to bring forth sacrifices to God and offer them before the people. They did so 
in such a way that it disgraced God and it desecrated the tabernacle. They were evil in all they did. Now, one Reformed commentator makes this statement referring to this passage. He says this, They knew nothing of self-control. They gave rein to the lusts and indulged in vices that were commonly associated with the idol worship, which was made uh, by all the pagan idolaters. And they made the place of worship terrible to the Israelites. Imagine, they were coming there to honor God with their sacrifices. They brought the best of the meats to be offered before the Lord. They did so with voluntary desire to please the Lord. And here's Hophni and Phinehas taking extra portions, not only that, but as we'll see as we go through this text, they violated all the protocol of the priest. As we look at this, they hardly cared about disguising their participation in these indulgences. We cannot help but see the stark failures of the priest Eli. Before we examine the response of Eli to his sons in verse 23, let's consider who Eli was and what were his duties. Eli, though he was a high priest of Israel, had heard of the wickedness and the treatment that his sons had done. There is nothing recorded about Eli's early life. He was a descendant of Aaron and held the office of a high priest, a descendant of Aaron through Ithamar. Eli is generally supposed to have been the first of the line of Ithamar to hold the office of high priest. Eli acted as a judge over Israel as well, being the immediate predecessor of Samuel, the last of judges. He was also the first judge who was of priestly descent and is said to have judged Israel for 40 years. Think of it. At first, perhaps he served with vigor and reverence to the Lord. But gradually, he became insensitive, lacking discernment, As we look at his life, you can see, even in this book, as we look at the first chapter, what he did to Hannah. Hannah, a godly woman, goes to the temple and she's praying to the Lord. Her heart was just poured out before the Lord. She prayed and only her lips were moving. And yet... She was praying her heart out to ask God for a son. She did so not only to honor God, but she wanted to dedicate this son, if God were to grant her that, to the Lord all his days. So even though 
She had no children. She was barren. She went to the God of all creation. When Eli saw her praying, rather than realizing this woman of God was interceding and praying and pouring her heart out before God, what's he do? He accuses her of drunkenness. Can you imagine? Here's the high priest. A woman comes in, a woman of God, who has been faithfully worshiping there at the tabernacle for years in Shiloh. And yet, he doesn't even understand or recognize how holy a person she was. She was set apart for God for a very specific purpose. And she wanted to honor God. And yet he accuses her of drunkenness. It would be as he was comparing her to those who were the temple prostitutes in all the pagan land. And yet she was God's child. So as we look at the many aspects of Eli's son, we recognize that they were guilty of theft and robbery by taking portions other than the right shoulder and breast, which belonged to the priest. That was specific outline and given to them in the Levitical law. There was procedure and reverence for the priest as they took offerings and brought the offerings for the Lord. But no, Hophni and Phinehas, they would take the meat even before it was burned and select the best portions for themselves. They're also guilty of the sin of gluttony. But more so, they were shameless in their immorality. And it was known all over Israel. Think of it. Israel brings their sacrifices. Here's two people, two men, who have been appointed to serve as priests simply because they were in the line of the priesthood because they belonged to Eli. However, as we consider these men, they had, it says that they did not know God. They were not believers. They were holding this position and yet they themselves did not reverence God. So their sins were grievous. And not only did they cause God's name to be blasphemed, but all of Israel was affected by their sin. They wanted to take whatever they wanted. They were immoral men, and yet there was nothing done to them. Now when we think about that, what should have been the response of Eli when he first discovered what they were doing? What should he have done? Discipline, they should have taken their lives, according to Levitical law. And as we, I'll do a reference from Ecclesiastes. In chapter 8, this is what we read. Because of the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, 
Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Do we see the effects of this? The essence of what these men modeled as priests. They desecrated the name of Christ and also the tabernacle by their ongoing unrepentant sin. How often do we see this today among leaders in the church in which they're living two lives, one in public life, one in private life, secretly, perhaps in sin, never addressing it. God will judge them severely. This shows the sorrowful state of the high priest Eli, given that his son's responsibilities and duties before the tabernacle in Shiloh were prominent before all Israel. And as we think of this, we recognize Eli held this high office of high priest. He was going to be judged by God. The sins of Eli's son were committed against God and impacted all of Israel. And God was going to deal with that Severely. What strikes me in this passage is Eli did not show hatred for this sin. Rather, he gives them a rather mild rebuke. Nothing like it should have been. They should have been removed and dealt with severely. But God was going to carry out his judgment and his wrath. Upon them. <clears throat> in verse 26, it says this Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. It almost seems like a parenthetical statement because first we're introduced to the sins of Hophni and Phinehas, and then Eli gives him this mild rebuke, and all of a sudden, the author turns to Samuel and he talks about how his stature, his physical growth, and his spiritual growth was bringing favor to God and all of Israel. People were starting to recognize, here's a man who truly may be one of God's servants, which he was. So as they looked at him, he became an example for Israel. <clears throat> yes, Brian. Absolutely. The statement that Brian was bringing forth here is that how often do we see parents where their children are notably practicing sin continually without repentance? and yet fearful of perhaps the children turning against them, they refuse to bring reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. They fear man more than they love God, and the results are often disastrous. Yes? 
Exactly. Good point. Mike was saying that we have to realize the faith that Hannah exhibited. She brought her only son to the tabernacle in Shiloh, knowing that the high priest himself had not corrected his own sons. So her trust, as it was just brought out, was deep and mature. She understood <clears throat> that <clears throat> he was not just her child, but she had dedicated him to God, and she was trusting that God would not only protect him, but God would lead him, despite of these two men who were known sinners and reprobates. And knowing that Eli himself had not done anything. And yet she entrusted him to Eli. Remarkable faith. We might look at it from the perspective of, why would a person do that? And yet she had confidence in God that this was part of what God was going to do. He would protect Samuel. He would use Samuel even to the point of bringing, pronouncing the judgment. He would be one of the last of the judges over Israel. <clears throat> the sins of Eli's sons were committed against God. There's no question. But all of Israel was impacted by this sin. They looked here and they even disdained the aspect of knowing that they were bringing choice offerings to be sacrificed to God. And yet, they were not trusting what these two men were doing. They were giving out of a heart and love for God. Regardless. Because they wanted to bring honor and worship to the Lord. <clears throat> In verse 27 through 29, it goes on and the author says this. <clears throat> then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to the Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them? from all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me. And did I not give the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of everything of my people, Israel. Here, we look at this term, then a man came, a man of God. 
In the Old Testament, that term, phrase, was used to speak of a prophet of God. Now, what was the role of a prophet? It was to bring a message from God. It could be something of the past. It could be something present or perhaps in a future event. But it was a message from the Lord. And prophets, as we know, were tested. If their prophecy did not come to pass and they were found to be false prophets, what happened to them? They were done. Completely done. So here, this prophet comes to Eli and he brings this message. In Exodus 29.9, it says this. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall be the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So here was the introduction of the household of Aaron to carry out the role of the priesthood. And God is giving this instruction. During this time, of Exodus, Aaron and his sons were ordained for a perpetual priesthood, which was consisted of three tasks. And it's in the text. First, to go up to my altar. That is to bring the people's sacrifices before the Lord for the sins that they had committed. Wouldn't take away, but it covered the sins. The second was they were to burn incense, which speaks of the priest's ministry and intercessory prayer. Third, they were to wear an ephod, referring to the vestments and robes of the priest, high priest. Now, as we consider this robe, it was a cloak that was also adorned with 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. That was the adornment that the priest would wear when he brought forth the sacrifices. By allowing his sons to violate the priesthood, Eli regarded regarded their honor above that of God. This happens, as was just mentioned, throughout the universal church, where ministers dishonor the Lord through sin, unrepentant, and continue to do so without any chastisement. Eli was not responsible for everything his sons did. They were held accountable for their own sin. But Eli was responsible for their committing sins while remaining priest. He could not stop them from sinning, but he could have removed them from that office. But more so, he could have carried out the law of God with great chastisement. As we look at how sacrilegious these priests were, we go to verse 30, and he says this. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, 
I indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. God had promised Aaron's house the privilege of serving as priest. But there was a clear obligation connected to that promise. That is, they were to honor God. Because Eli did not honor the office of the priesthood, and by allowing his sons to continue as priests in Shiloh, he was also partaking as an accomplice to the desecration of the burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. God, therefore, revoked his grant of a perpetual priesthood. The promise made to Aaron's family as a whole from Exodus 29.9, he says this, You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. In other words, all his ancestry after that. All the lineage of Aaron. Eli, as well as his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had shown themselves to be completely unworthy of serving in this office. This was a holy office, and yet they desecrated it by their wicked sin. They also caused the priesthood to be shunned shunned by all of Israel. These people knew what they were doing. And they knew that there had been no consequences. So they had little to no regard for these priests. And it's understandable. For a considerable time after the death of Eli, the high priesthood almost lost all its significance. All of Israel turned to Samuel, who the Lord established as his prophet by the means of revelation, in whom he chose as the deliverer of his people. God had promised Aaron's house the privilege of serving as priest, but there was this clear obligation, and let's think about this. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Because Eli despised the Lord in this way, by disregarding the sinfulness of his sons, only one would be left. This is the latter part of the verse. It says, one will be spared to weep, his eyes to grieve, his heart. While Eli's other descendants would go on to increase they would also die in the prime of their life. They wouldn't die as infants. They wouldn't die in their old age. But they would die in the vitality and vigor of their lives. God brought this judgment upon Eli's house, his descendants. This promise is actually fulfilled 
in the days of David, when Doeg the Edomite slaughtered all of Eli's descendants at the tabernacle, with the sole exception of Abathar. That was in 1 Samuel 22, 6-23. Abathar served David as a high priest until he supported the usurping of Adonijah against David's heir, Solomon. When Solomon expelled Abathar from the priesthood, the scripture notes this. So Solomon dismissed Abathar from being the priest of the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli. 1 Kings 2.27 Abathar was replaced by Zadok, who was to be a more preeminent family line. Aaron thus restoring an earlier promise of this family that would hold the priesthood. In Numbers 25, 6 through 13, in this way, Eli's descendants were forced to the sidelines during the glories of Solomon's reign. Looking with envy on the house permitted to the priesthood and surviving off the generosity of the men who supplanted him. As 1 Samuel 2.36 says, But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before me and my anointed always. All this would take place in generations to come. But Eli would see its proof. For the Lord said, this will be a sign to which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both will die. This was a proclamation and the judgment of God. 1 Samuel 2.34 It would be a long time until Eli's wicked sons would be slain on a single day, revealing Eli the further judgment was yet to come. The principle behind God's rejection of Eli's house is one that we should note. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. This is a fixed principle for all of God's people. For while the world honors those who serve its cause, the Lord promises to honor those who honor him. Those who despise the Lord may often rise to a place of power and fame, but the Lord will carry out his perfect and just punishment upon all those who do not repent and turn to God. Those who are corrupt political leaders throughout history have used their positions of power to satisfy their own desires, and have no concern for the people. They want the power, the prominence, and to take care of themselves, only their own interests. Of course, we don't see that very often. No. 
There are numerous examples throughout the Old Testament and New Testament in which kings, emperors carried out cruel and evil treatment of the people who under their harsh leadership were treated despicably. But we can think of this also today. What about executives who use people under them to rise in success, power, and wealth, profiting from the labors of those beneath them, and yet willing to compromise standards to bring, make sure that they get the golden retirement regardless of the employees below them and are corrupt so that all can see. <clears throat> they try to benefit to the harm of others. Throughout human history since the fall, mankind has sinned. He wants to do what's right in his own eyes, always trying to satisfy his own lust and his own desires, neglecting God. R.D. Phillips, in his commentary on 1 Samuel, says this regarding this passage. An example of God's honoring those who honor him was in that of Eric Liddell, who was born and raised in China as a Christian missionary, son of Christian missionaries. He returned to Scotland in his adolescence. He emerged as one of the finest runners Britain had ever produced at that time, when British national pride coveted the Olympic glory. Liddell was favored to win the 100-meter race in 1924 Olympics. But a problem emerged. That is, to run the race, it was going to be held on Sunday. And Eric Liddell's conviction was, this was a Lord's Day. He wanted to honor God on Sunday. So he refused to run the race. As a result, he was denounced by newspapers as a traitor. And personally, he was pressured by the Prince of Wales to enter that race because they knew that he was the only hope to win that race and bring the Olympic medal to Britain. Liddell held firm, determined to honor the Lord above his personal well-being, even before his own country. A compromise was reached in which Liddell would bypass the 100-meter race and compete instead in the 400-meter race. Now, I want you to think about this. 100-meter race is 109 yards. The 400-meter race is 437 yards. For a track athlete to train for a 100-yard sprint is entirely different than trying to run the 400-yard sprint. He did not train for that. He was not conditioned for that. And yet, he chose to run that race because it was available on the next day. <clears throat> As he prepared to run the 400-meter race, 
a member of the British training staff approached Liddell and handed him a note. Eric opened the piece of paper and read the note just prior to the race. On the note was written a portion of 1 Samuel 2.30. For those who honor me, I will honor. He crumpled that up and kept it in his hand. With a piece of paper all balled up, Liddell ran the race, not only winning the Olympic gold medal, but also he shattered the world's record in that 400-meter race. Now, the author of Eric Liddell's biography said this in his book, and he gives this account. The people of Britain cheered Liddell, and he became a national hero. Yet instead of continuing to live in Britain as an Olympic hero, he fulfilled his commitment to return to China as a missionary. When he departed from Scotland, the crowds were so large to see him off that more than a thousand additional people were unable to be admitted to his farewell. Thousands of people went to see him off. Twenty years later, Eric Liddell was still honoring God in China when he died valiantly in a Japanese internment camp shortly before the end of World War II, end quote. This man was considered and named the Flying Scotman, Scotsman. He loved and honored and served the Lord, and he wanted God to get the glory. Samuel would be one of God's servants. He lived in contrast to the condemned house of Eli. God was preparing to tear down the house of Eli, and at the same time, providing a godly leader for his people Israel. God had this planned, and this is the providential plan of God. <clears throat> Verse 35, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed ways. We can see the beginnings of the purpose taking shape in Samuel's life. He indeed would be a faithful servant and priest to the Lord. And as Israel's prophet and judge, he would do God's will. These words also refer to faithful Zadok and the priestly line of his house. They would serve in the days of King Solomon. But this divine resolution could only be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ who is God's true high priest for all eternity. A priest was ordained. God says, my priest, to go up to my altar, back in 2.28. Priests were also called to offer burnt sacrifices, to atone for the people's sins. This was but a shadow of the things to be filled through Jesus Christ. In a book of Hebrews, the author brings these profound truths. 
Jim has already covered this in the first portion of Hebrews. But in chapter 2, verse 17, the author says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Also, later on in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, the author gives us this profound truth. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Jesus thus ministers forever as a priest in the house where he is both Savior and King. Finally, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 7, verses 25, he says this, Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just as the high priest was to wear the ephod, bearing the 12 stones of Israel, God's presence also, Christ is the true and eternal priest who bears all the redeemed on his heart and secures their place in glory. Says this in Isaiah 49, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. This sometimes is a practice referred to by the nail marks, which Jesus has. In that context, that was addressed to Israel. But the Matthew Henry commentary, he says this, this practice was established after the Lord had delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh, which God miraculously delivered his people from the armies of Pharaoh. They would strap phylacteries on their arms as a reminder that God had delivered them. Now this was a little leather pouch and they would tie it on their arms or put it on their forehead and it would have parchment strips in there with precepts from God's word. But I will raise up for myself verse 35 in chapter 2 of Samuel. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. I'm going to stop there because we're at the end of this time in class. I want to leave you with this. As we think about what God has done for us, do we honor him in our daily lives, in our thought life, our inward as well as our outward 
do we really recognize the holy God that saved us and is sanctifying us and will bring us into glory. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.